right, so we're going to continue into the book of 1 Corinthians. I'm sorry. Yeah, the book of 1 Corinthians. We are on part 4. That's not chapter 4. This is part 4. I think we're just going to break into chapter 3 this morning. But uh, as we've been going through this last few weeks, we've been beginning to see, you guys know that the backstory of this is that the, the town of Corinth is, is, is a very immoral, paganistic town. And uh, the people there are doing crazy things. It's not unlike what we see in big cities today. And the church there is struggling. Paul went and planted this church about seven years before he wrote this letter. He plants a church. He's their spiritual father. He raises them up. He shares the gospel. They get saved, and the church gets off to a roaring start. And then seven years later, he's in Ephesus planting another church, and he gets a letter from close people. And uh, he says, hey, things aren't going so well. There's, there's enmity. There's strife. There's arguing. There's bickering. There's sinful stuff going on. And, uh, you know, if we, we would just like you to come and, and, and uh, come take care of this. So Paul sends his letter to this church right now. And uh, things are, are, are getting, I mean, it's pretty crazy there. And it's because they're a group of newly saved people in a, in a world that's trying to, to pull them away from the church just like it is today. And then last week specifically, Paul began to deal with speaking on the wisdom of the gospel and the revelation of what that wisdom really is, right? And we talked about how the, the wisdom of God is oftentimes, I would say more often than often, in conflict with the wisdom of God. The wisdom of man is in conflict with the wisdom of God. So when, when people first hear about the cross, they think it's, it's kind of crazy. It doesn't make any sense. How could some guy... Matter of fact, how many people have you heard say, I wouldn't even want to serve a God that would be that cruel to send his son to the cross? Because they don't understand what is actually going on. They don't understand. They're, they're looking at it through, through earthly lenses instead of looking at it how God would look at it. And as we know, once you get saved, the cross is no longer foolishness. It's no longer folly, but instead it's the power to save. And the, the light bulb goes off and you begin to get it. You begin to understand. And all of a sudden you're like, well, I understand why it had to be that way. And instead of thinking, oh, that's a cruel, awful God, you begin to realize that, no, that's an incredibly loving God who gave up everything so that we could live, so that we could have a brand new life. And that's what Paul dealt with, is the wisdom of the gospel from a, a heavenly perspective instead of an earthly perspective. Seeing, seeing it from not a natural perspective, but a spiritual perspective. And then he also began to, to really press home the fact that when he, when he delivered the message of the gospel, he didn't do it with, with flowery speech. He didn't do it with, you know, with that silver tongue. He wasn't a snake oil salesman. He was just presenting the gospel as it is, as simply as it is, and letting God do the work. And he didn't use all the tricks of the trade, the, the, particularly in the city of Corinth, the, uh, the speakers at the time and the Greek philosophers and all those things. It was a big deal to be a, a big, big speaker. And they had all these fancy things they had to do and they had all this rhetoric that they used and it was all this, it was a big ordeal to be a big speaker. And Paul said, I didn't come to you like that. I didn't come to you with this idea that, that, that you were going to receive my message because of how good I could speak or how nice I could look or the credentials that I came with. I simply presented you with the gospel. And it was God that had it work in your heart. You didn't believe the gospel because of me. You believed the gospel because of God. And we learned that that's actually a really important thing because there are so many people, uh, uh, even today, pastors and, and people that get up from the pulpit that are they're, they're saying, me, 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 instead of Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. 
And that's the point is we need to have our eyes on Jesus. It shouldn't matter who's up here speaking as long as they're sharing the gospel. As long as they're speaking the word of God, it doesn't matter. As my, my pastor once kindly pointed out for me, if a donkey can speak to somebody, then I can get up here and speak to somebody. <laughs> Guess who's preaching soon. <laughs> so, uh, you know, and it's, it's, it's an interesting thing because God can use all of us. It doesn't matter of our own abilities. As a matter of fact, I think that God so often uses people that are ungifted in an area because then you can say, well, that for sure was God and not them because I've heard them speak otherwise or I've, I've, I've seen them do this otherwise. I was God inside of them. So that's what Paul did. He said, you know what, we need to learn the importance that it's not the people that we're dealing with. Because that, that was one of the main problems, right? He was talking about, you know, you say, I'm, I'm with Apollos, and I'm with, I'm with Paul, and I'm with whoever, you know, Peter and whoever. So the, the, the men don't matter. It's Christ. It's, it's Christ and him crucified. It's all that matters. And then finally, we begin to learn that we actually, because we have the Holy Spirit inside of us, that we actually begin to speak the language of God, if you will. And I gave the example. I, I work in the IT field. Uh, as most of you guys know, I'm, 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 not, I'm a bivocational pastor. I work full-time um, for ASARCO uh, as their IT, one of their senior systems engineers. I'm an IT guy. And if I began to talk to you about what I did, most of you guys would just gloss over and be like, I just hope he would stop talking. I just wish he would stop talking and talk about something that I understand. And that's kind of what happens to people that aren't saved as you begin to, to, to share the God. They don't understand the language. They don't understand what's going on. To them, this idea of, of God sending his son to die so that other people, I mean, that's crazy to them. They think it's bonkers. And they're like, how is, one, they don't, they don't understand how it can work. Two, they think it's cruel or whatever. And they start forming all these ideas. It's because they don't yet speak the language, if you will. But when they get saved, when the Holy Spirit begins to live, and all of a sudden they begin having revelation. It's the same reason that when you, when you read the Bible before you got saved, it didn't make any sense. But all of a sudden when you got saved, you looked at the Bible, it, it spoke to you differently than it ever has before. And every time, even to this day, every time I read the Bible, God is beginning to reveal. And the Holy Spirit inside of me is revealing even more of his word to me today. And that's why, because you eventually, when you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, and we're going to talk about that even more so today, is that that stuff, God begins to reveal stuff to you, begin to, like, for lack of a better term, speak the heavenly language. And today we're going to continue on, like I said, with learning about understanding things, the difference between understanding things naturally and spiritually, because there's two different ways of, of looking at things. I mean, one of the, the ones we just talked, you know, we looked at this morning is, is, is giving. Giving, if you look at that naturally, it doesn't make any sense. I mean, how, how is giving something going to bless you? But when you look at it, you begin to understand, especially if you've lived it out as a Christian, you realize that when you give generously, that God blesses you in return. And I'm not even talking about giving to the church, and we're not receiving another offering, so you don't have to worry about that today. But... That's, the idea is, is that when you give, God blesses you. And that, that, that's to the church. That means when you're giving to, to, to somebody that you see on the street, giving to somebody in need in your family or somebody that you, all those areas, giving your time, God will bless you and honor you. And that's, that doesn't make sense. That's a, you have to see that spiritually to understand that because naturally, naturally we, we, we see with it when we give, it's actually loss. 
when the truth is, is that it's gain if you give in faith. Amen? And then we're going to end today starting to deal with growing and maturing in the Spirit. Now, this is the one where, where uh, it's, it's, sometimes it's a tough one to read because we, on one hand, we read the Scriptures and, and we see it you know, with hindsight and from a bird's eye view, and we kind of gloss over that this is actually still speaking to us as well. You know, maybe we need to grow a little bit as well. And sometimes it's hard. It, 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 it hurts a little bit. But uh, we're going to get into that today, and hopefully we'll all be challenged. Hopefully we'll all be, be pressed to, to just press closer to God and grow in Him and, and, and really grow into the men or women of God that He intends us to be. Amen? 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So this is what we were kind of just talking about, but the comparison Paul is making here is of the natural person and the spiritual person. Now, the spiritual person is spiritual because of the Holy Spirit living inside of him. It's as simple as that. It, it doesn't, it's not because of their behavior. It's not because that they're incredibly wise or they've done all these things. It isn't because they're one with God. It's, it's not like, you ever referred to somebody as super spiritual? You ever, ever heard that expression we're talking? That's not what he's talking about here. That's not the spiritual person he's talking about. It's because they're saved. It's because they've received the Spirit of God living inside them, the Holy Spirit living inside of them, and as a result, they're a spiritual person. And then the natural person, what he's referring to, is simply referring to somebody who is not saved. It's not because they, they don't wear deodorant or because they only eat granola. It's not because, it's, it's because they're, not, they're not saved. That's what he's referring to as a natural person. And the truth is, is that at one point, we were all natural men and women. This is the mindset that we had. This is the way that we're, we're born is, is, is into a natural world. But when we receive the Lord Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, at that moment, we became spiritual. You see, so much about Christianity, it's not about what you do and how you act, but it's about the identity that you receive when you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Something changes inside of you. And it has nothing to do with how you act, how you behave, what you do. You know, it's one of the things that people have the hardest time understanding is when you get saved, you are holy. You are righteous. You have been made brand new. And they're like, but Pastor Wayne, they can't be. You've seen some of the stuff that they do? They can't be saved. I mean, look at how they're living. And it's true. There is a, a, a process of becoming sanctified in our body as, as, our, as our body catches up to what's been done inside of us spiritually. But as far as God is concerned, when you get born again, you are sanctified. You're saved. You're pure. You're holy. Because our standing with God has nothing to do with how we live our lives. With, with how we, and don't take that the wrong way. It doesn't mean <laughs> that you can do whatever you want. The truth is, is if you've been saved, your life will change. And that's what James was talking about. I'll show you, my, my, you show me your faith without your works, I'll show you my faith by my works. What he's saying is, is that a real saving faith produces a change inside of you. So don't get me wrong on what I just said. My point is, is though, the, the actions that we accomplish or, or our failings or our successes are not what put us in God's good graces. Jesus did that. And it's the identity that we receive when we were born again that, that puts us in those, that place with him. But at one point, we were all natural. 
We were all unsaved. And there is a reality that for those who are unsaved, those who are, un- are natural right now, they think we're crazy. They just don't, they don't get it. They don't understand. They, they, they can't understand that, that some, really they can't even understand that God would love them so much that he would give everything so that they could live. I mean, that is so beyond us, particularly as, as we're natural, because that kind of, that doesn't make any sense. Nobody acts like that. Not even our own parents act like that. I mean, that's it's not something we can understand because it's not a reality. And it sure as heck not how we act. So when we begin to talk to them about a love of a God who loves them so much that he gave everything for them, they just don't get it. And that's why so many people think you have to earn your way into heaven because that's how we would do it. Do this, this, and this, and you get back in my good graces. But they look at us and they think, man, you're crazy. And they think that we either no longer want to or we're restricted from having fun. You know, that's them Christians, they can't do anything fun. They can't do anything good. That's, like I said, it's because spiritual things to people that aren't spiritual are crazy. And I remember thinking this when I was younger as well. Before I got saved, I thought Christianity was a shackle. I thought that, you know, it was just a list of do's and don'ts. And I felt imprisoned by this. I mean, why would I want to live like that? I mean, God just wants to take all my fun away. He just wants to steal it all. He wants me to live a boring, miserable life. Because instead of recognizing it for what it was, which is freedom, I saw it as prison. And I couldn't recognize that those very things that I saw as restrictions were actually saving my life. I mean, why would, why would God want to steal my fun and not let me go hang out with all kinds of girls? Because that kind of lifestyle will kill you, literally and spiritually. <laughs> but it was, in my head, it was a list of things that I couldn't do. And I remember even after I got saved, I, would, I used to work in the, the restaurant business. And if you've ever worked in the restaurant business, I would recommend not letting your kids work in the restaurant business because it's not a very wholesome place. But I remember working, and I, would t- I, was, I was trying to step out onto this walk with God, and, and people would, would express that same thing that I had felt before. You know, I don't want to join where, you know, then I can't smoke, and then I can't go out and, and drink, and I can't do these things. You know, I want to be free. And I tried to, I mean, you say you're free. You're like, yeah, I'm free. I'm like, okay, then go a week without doing those things. And they began to, my hope was that they would realize that, no, they weren't free. They were actually shackled to the very things that they had been deceived into thinking was freedom. The truth is, is those who are not saved can't see it. If you don't know God, you can't, you can't understand God. You can't grasp the concept that the Spirit fills in our lives, that the Spirit reveals to us in our lives. And to give you an example, it's just like a tone-deaf person can't appreciate fine music fully. The same thing is for a person who rejects God. They can't understand God fully as well. I mean, the reality is that that's why actions don't save anyone. The truth, I mean, you can live as right as you want, but the truth is you're just going to fail over and over and over. 
It's also why living like that seems, seems like a prison because if you get into Christianity as just a list of rules instead of receiving that free gift of salvation, if you just get into it as a list of rules, it is. It's, it's, it's confinement. It's imprisonment. And the worst part is as you fail over and over and over again, you just feel guilty. You feel awful. There are so many people that have tried to live a good life and they just keep failing. It's like Paul said. He said that... Uh, he says, I, I, I wanted to do the right things, and I agreed with the Spirit of God, but I couldn't. He was talking before he got saved. He's like, I, I, I agreed, and I wanted to, but I couldn't. Sin inside me wouldn't let me. And before you get well and truly saved, before you get born again, that's the same thing. I lived a lot of my life wanting to do the right thing, and I just kept failing over and over, and I just felt awful afterwards. And that, why would I want to live that kind of life? Why would I want to feel like that? The reality is, is that Unbelievers can't comprehend the work on the cross. We can't see the divine beauty and what God has accomplished in His Son, all of those things. And all of the mysteries of God are just foolishness. That's what he's saying here. He said the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, and they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. That's why, that's another, that's why it's not your job to save anybody. Our job is to share the gospel. Our job is to share the truth. Our job is not to save people. That's the Holy Spirit's job, to speak to their heart, to finally let them see what they've been missing so they can finally understand and discern what they're going on. Now, we've been commanded to share the gospel, you know, the Great Commission to go into all the world. That's our job. But they need the Holy Spirit to see what's going on. 1 Corinthians 2.15, it says, The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. So this goes a little bit step further. He's continuing his thought. The spiritual person judges all things. What he's saying is, is the person that is born again, the person that has the Spirit of God living inside of them, they're able to make right judgments about the things of God. Not necessarily all matters, but certainly spiritual matters such as salvation, and God's future blessings, we can, with the Spirit of God inside of us, we can begin to judge those things accurately and begin to see God's Word and it makes sense and we understand it. We begin to recognize the cross not as foolishness, but as the power to save. We're able to make the necessary discernments regarding all of those things. This is actually why we can walk by faith and not by sight. Because we don't have to see it in the natural to know it's true. We trust God's Word. And God reveals to us His Word and His promises. And a person possessing the Spirit of God and is guided by Him is able to evaluate and apply all things the Spirit reveals. And we learned that last week. It was actually in, in 1 Corinthians 2.10. It says, These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. The Spirit of God has knowledge of the inner working and thoughts of God because the, the Holy Spirit is God. Just like we talked about last week, the only person that knows everything that you're thinking is you. And the only thing that knows everything that God's thinking is the Spirit of God. It's, it's Him. And He reveals those things to us. And then He goes on to say, the spiritual person judges all things but is himself to be judged by no one. What is that? What is he talking about there? What he's talking about is a spiritual person, the saved person, is not subject to non-believers' judgments on spiritual things. Because they can't understand. 
What that means is, is that when the non-believer thinks you're crazy for believing what you do, there's no skin off your back. They can't judge you for those things. They don't get it. They don't understand. I mean, how can they make an accurate judgment of something they, they cannot comprehend at all? So as a result, they're not, we're not to be judged by anything. We're not to, to let what they think, what they think to, to affect us in any way. Because they're not, they're not coming to you with all the evidence. They're not making their arguments with the full deck of cards. They don't have all the information. I mean, we would never let, uh, to stand in front of a judge and let one, there's a reason why when we stand in front of judges and we go to court, that there has to be enough evidence presented and you have to have everything out. And if there's not enough, then, then they'll dismiss the case. You're, you're, you, you'll, it'll, you'll be set free of the charges or whatever those things. And that's why, because you have to have all the information to make a judgment. And unbelievers just don't. And the reality is, is for them to judge a believer's faith and salvation by the cross is to judge the Lord's wisdom. And that's kind of a dangerous place to be. Truth is, even as a believer, I've been there time to time, arguing with God, trying to explain to God how I would do it. Anybody ever try to explain to God how you would do it? I've done that a few times. Just kidding, I'm a pastor. I've never done anything like that. Paul later on reveals in 1 Corinthians that he, he sees things the same way. He recognizes that he's only judged by God. 1 Corinthians 4.4, 4, For I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. That's who we have to be concerned with, not other people. And the reality is, is that just like Dean Braxton says, they'll find out. First Corinthians 2.16 says, For who has understand the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So this is a continued thought. He says, A spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. And he's referring to this no one here. Who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? It's like, who are these people that are trying to judge you? To understand the mind of the, the, mind of the Lord, to try to instruct you, to try to change your mind about salvation. This is why the believer is to be judged by no one, because how can no one, someone who doesn't even know God, try to instruct God? When I was going through this and studying this, I was reminded of when Job tried to instruct God. Do you guys remember when Job tried to tell God how to do it? See, Job tried to instruct God, and he actually knew God. <laughs> He didn't have the same revelation that we have of God today. They, they weren't on the same playing field, if you will. We have the, the book of Job is the oldest book in the Bible. is the first one ever written. Job had the least revelation of who God was than anybody else that's spoken of in the Bible. But even then, he knew God, but he began to try to instruct God. And this is what God said to Job when Job began to try to tell God how things went. And this is Job 38, 1 through, that's, I'm just going to read 1 through 13, but it's actually 38 and 39. It's like two full chapters of just God smacking Job around. But he starts like this in Job 38, 1 through 13. Then the Lord answered Job out of a whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge, dressed for action like a man? I will question you, and you make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? 
Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? And who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Or who shut in the seas with doors when it burst out from the womb? When I made clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band and prescribed limits for it and set bars and doors. And said, Thus far shall you come, and no further, and here shall your proud waves be staved. Have you commanded the morning since your days began, and caused the dawn to know its place, that it might hold off the skirts of the earth, and the wicked be shaken out of it? That's just the beginning. But he's basically saying, Where were you when I did all this? If you know so much, if you're so wise, if you got it all figured out, well, tell me how all this stuff worked. And this is how he finishes it. In Job 41 through 2, God says to Job, The Lord said to Job, Shall a fault finder contend with the Almighty? He who argues with God, let him answer it. Can you imagine being in that conversation? I mean, have you ever, have you ever gotten an argument with somebody and you, you just know you're right, you know you're right, and then it's revealed that you're wrong? You know that feeling you get where you just like you feel awful inside and you don't know what to do? You know, you get... Can you imagine that with God? And he just spends like, I mean, two chapters of just telling you how it is. I mean, sorry, sir. You know, like, what do you say? To, I can't imagine being in his shoes right then. I'd imagine all the stuff he just went through felt perfectly okay compared to that feeling at that moment. But Job, he even kind of knew God. And he still wasn't able to instruct God. God says, who are you to instruct me? Where were you when all this happened? And the same is true for those who, who, who don't know. For those who, who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him, the answer is nobody. In case you were wondering what the answer to that was, it's nobody. Nobody has that ability. But then he goes on to say, but we have the mind of Christ. You know, it's true that none of us can fully comprehend God. I mean, Romans 11.34 says, Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? It's true. I mean, I, mean, I, look, I try to think about God and there's just so much I just I don't get. And I imagine that that's the way it'll be until I die. There'll be one day when all is revealed and I'm like, oh. And that's the day when we stand before God and realize that half of everything that we thought was right, we were, we were probably actually wrong. All the, the infighting between denominations and all that stuff. Well, that was a waste of time. Turns out we were all wrong about something. I imagine that's how it's going to be. But the reality is, is that we have the mind of Christ. And what that means is that we have some insights. Some, some, some insights into God's thoughts and His plans and His actions because the Holy Spirit that lives within inside of us. We come from a different, a different, which is why the cross makes sense to us, because the Holy Spirit begins to reveal stuff to us. And we look at God's blessings and his plans and what the world would consider his restrictions. And we're like, wait a minute, those aren't restrictions. Those are actually saving my life. And we go, man, you know, before we got saved, like, I don't want to be a Christian. It seems like it wouldn't be, be fun at all. And then I'm, nowadays I'm like, man, if you're having a boring life as a Christian, you're doing it wrong. Come here, I'll show you how to have fun as a Christian. You want to have some excitement in your life? Go spend time with the street telling people about God. You'll get all kinds of excitement in your life as they respond to you. You know, it's funny. When I look into people, always ask me, how do you do what you do? How do you keep going? All the, you know, because my life's busy. I work full time 
45, 50 hours a week, do the church full time. People ask me, you know, how do you do it all? And for me, it's become normal. I've actually found now that when I come into periods of time where I have nothing to do and I actually have a moment of break, I'm lost. I don't even know what to do. Because my life as a Christian, working for God and doing those things, that's exciting to me. To be able to come in and see new people visiting the church, and come, that's exciting to me. To be able to share the gospel with someone and watch their life in a moment be turned around. They're not who they used to be. A miracle takes place, and they're set free. They're redeemed. That's exciting to me. Boring Christianity is coming to church on Sunday, sitting through the service, thinking about lunch the whole time, and then moving on till next Sunday. That's boring Christianity. When you sit and you, you don't serve God, that's boring Christianity. When it's just a checklist. But the truth is, when you're serving God fully, it's exciting to serve God. And we have some insights into God's plans, thoughts and His actions. And we can begin to know God's thoughts and we can speak to Him. And we can expect answers from our prayers. And as a result, we can understand. As a result, we can understand and discern spiritual things. And we don't argue with God's plan and in the wisdom it contains because we finally recognize it as what it is. In 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 2, it says, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people. Now, this is the part we're going to deal with maturity. We're going to get started on that, so buckle up. So, but I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now, you are not ready. How many of you guys know that babies can't eat solid food? Right? Everybody knows that, right? Babies can't eat small, solid food. They're not ready for it. I mean, if you try to give a, a newborn baby a steak... Not only is it going to, I mean, you could probably actually harm them. You could, you could kill them. The same is true for newborn Christians. They're not ready for the, the full revelation of everything. They're, 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 they're just happy to hear the gospel, to realize, that they're, to realize that God loves them. But that's where we start them because we can't, I mean, if you, if you want to try to get somebody saved by starting with the Old Testament and how it points to, to Jesus, you're probably going to have a rough time of it. There are a few people that are interested in that thing and they could work through it that way, but most people you are just going to drive away. Because they're, they're not ready for that solid food yet. They're just ready for, tell me that, you know, to tell them that God loves them and he cares for them and he wants the best for them. But the reality is, is that even though babies start with, with uh, milk and then strained food and, and even though that, that Christians start with uh, the milk of the word instead of solid food, that's not the way we are supposed to stay. That's not the way we're supposed to continue on. When kids are young, we do everything for them, right? I mean, they can't do anything. One of the most awkward times in my life is I remember when, when the kids were young, you know, one or two years old, and they just got out of diapers, but they hadn't quite figured out wiping their butt yet. That's not a good, that's not a fun time. But we have to do everything for them. Even, even stuff like that, we have to feed them. We have to make sure they're fed. You have to make sure that they brush their teeth. You have to make sure that they, they take a shower. When they get out and they've taken a shower and she took a shower, like, yes, did you wash your butt? No, get back in there and wash your butt. Wash behind your ear. You know, all those things. You have, to, you have to take care of them. You have to direct everything that they do. But at some point, 
your kids should grow up. At some point, they should be able to wash their own butt. Amen? Amen. 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 You know, a toddler can, can yell milk. And we give them milk, but if a teenager walks up to you and goes, milk, <laughs> you smack them upside the head. That we expect growth in our kids, right? It's no different for, it's no different for Christians. We expect growth in Christians as well. They shouldn't be where they started. And here, Paul is beginning to get onto the believers for their lack of maturity in the faith. Because instead of growing in the faith, they had let themselves be diverted into quarrels and infighting and factions so that Paul couldn't even talk to them as mature Christians. The same reason why when you have, when you have toddlers and they get into a fight, you treat them differently than if you have adults that get into a fight. Because we can speak to them, they're more mature. They can understand different things. Well, I remember when my kids were little, I couldn't wait till they were old enough to really understand they were doing wrong so I could whoop their butt. Because when they're little, you can't spake them. They don't really get it. They don't understand. But when they're older, there's a lot of fire under their butts. So maybe they'll start doing the right things. I can't remember. But you, you, you have to discipline them differently as they get older, right? Because they're growing and they're maturing. And, and Paul's saying, I can't even talk to you like mature Christians because you're still acting like spiritual children. He had to talk to them through these letters like they still belonged to this world as, as infants in Christ. And he wasn't saying that they weren't saved. I mean, he wouldn't have spent the last two chapters talking the difference between under, you know, those who are spiritual and those who are not understanding the gospel, talking about how they put their faith. I mean, if he didn't believe they were saved, he wouldn't have just spent the last two chapters going through all that. He believed they were saved. They just weren't grown up. Sounds like some of them may have even regressed. But compared to mature believers, they were just sinning and acting like children. They were like toddlers throwing a temper tantrum in the store. The truth is, is our actions indicate our level of maturity. And being immature is not always a bad thing. The truth is, being immature is not always bad. There isn't time and place that you're expected to be immature. If you just got born again, I don't expect you to understand and know everything about serving in the kingdom and all those things. That's part of discipleship. You, you serve under somebody who is mature in the faith and you grow and you step out. It's only a problem if, our, if, if we've been Christians for a long time, but we're still acting like this. You know, Paul is indicating here, he says, I, I fed you with milk and not solid food, for you were not ready for it. That was okay when he first came down there. When they first got saved, he said, he said you weren't ready for it. I fed you with milk and not solid. That, but he doesn't, there's no indication that he's upset about that. But here's the problem. But even now, you are not ready. See, that was the problem, is they should have been growing. They should have been uh, growing even more in the faith and stepping out more. Instead, they were just fighting and arguing and all kinds of other sinful stuff as the world crept into their church. And the truth is, is that this is actually... Have you ever seen like a, an adult busting into a can of strained carrots or something? It almost feels uncomfortable because it's weird. You're like, that's not for you. That's for baby. Basically, anytime you see an adult doing something that, that's for... That's, not, that's weird. Or even weirder, I mean, could you imagine if you walked around the corner and, and, and you saw a teenager breastfeeding? I mean, that would, be, you would, that would make you feel uncomfortable. 
Because that's not where they should be anymore. It's like there's the big thing, I don't know if you've seen any of the magazines where they're letting much older than they should be toddlers, moms are, are letting them breastfeed continue on. And, and, I, and it makes me uncomfortable because they're well beyond the point that they should be there. One of the things that also used to make me uncomfortable was when, when, when uh, uh, adult couples regularly let their, their very old children sleep in their bed with them. I'm like, that's... Let them grow up, move them out, get them out of the nest. You know, it, it, it makes us feel uncomfortable when we see those things because we expect children to grow. And I think that's what Paul's dealing with here is, is he expected his children to grow. He was their spiritual father. And it, I think there's an, even an uncomfortableness when we see people stay in the same place for their whole life. And I know as a pastor, sometimes I, I feel frustration with it is too, and we have to deal with it in, in certain ways and help people grow. But I, I have to be careful with that, too, because for 20 years, I stood on the start line, didn't grow a single ounce. And for two years, my pastor kept trying to get me to be, to be more involved and get me to go to a, what finally turned my life around. Was I went to a men's meeting, and I finally surrendered to God. And I said, you know what, God? I know you want me to just, I'm, I'm yours now. But for 20 years before that, I pushed, I, I, ran, I, I stayed as a spiritual infant. And I can't, like... In retrospect, now I understand. I bet Pastor Mike was frustrated as all get out. Like, dude, have you ever wanted to shake the Jesus into somebody? I mean, I have wanted to just, just shake Jesus into him because you get frustrated. Amen. Let's keep going. 1 Corinthians 3, 3-4 says, For you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I will follow Paul, and another, I follow Paulus, are you not being merely human? I imagine when Paul first got the letter from close people, he was a little bit disappointed. You know, he probably left saying, you know what, I've been here a while, I've planted the church, I feel good, I'm going to go plant another church, and they're going to be okay. And then he gets the call, and, and well, I guess the letter at this point. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? He got an email. He said that, hey, things aren't going so well. So he put up a YouTube video to explain how things were going. I imagine he was a little bit disappointed with how things were going. And as a father, I love watching my children grow. I, I love them as they went through different steps. You know, there's always that, oh, I can't wait till they, they reach this age because then I'll be able to do this with them. And, and and you can't wait till they get to this age because now I'll be able to do this with them. And, and because when they're little, they can't do as much. And you're excited about seeing them grow. And I imagine Paul was excited, wanted to hear news that they were growing, to see what they were doing. But they weren't growing. And he begins to point out as much, you know what, you guys aren't growing. You should have been growing, but you're not. And, and, and this, these are the things that I'm seeing that are indication that you're not growing. He says, there is jealousy and strife among you. Instead of operating in unity and seeing each other, like Paul said before, as, as Christ alone, seeing people only as Christ, or Christ in them, rather, and then seeing them as their individual flaws and failure, that there, was, there wasn't a unity. There was jealousy and strife. He says, are you not of the flesh? Are you not behaving only in a human way? And for one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos. Are you not being merely, there, now there was factions. He's like, you know what, I'm, I'm only going to see so-and-so, and, you know, I only go to church when so-and-so's preaching. The pastor's not going to be there, then I'm not going to go this Sunday. That's a big problem. It's not a, I don't know if it's an issue here. I've never not been here. But uh, a lot of churches, when, the, when the, the pastor is on vacation or whatever, nobody shows up. 
you know, attendance is down by like half because the problem is, is that, that people are coming to see the pastor and not see Jesus. We want to make sure that we never get into that situation where we let our feelings and our, our, our emotions dictate when and where we're going to be going, how we're going to be serving God. You know, we don't always go to church because it's fun. Now, I realize here I'm a pretty good pastor, and I tell a lot of jokes, and you guys probably have an amazing time, except for when I keep you later than you're supposed to because I keep preaching longer than I'm supposed to. And I mean, there's probably all kinds of reasons you don't want to be here as well. But the truth is there's times that I don't want to get up and come to church, and I'm the pastor. But we don't, we don't come and serve God because it's, it's good for us. We, we're not, we, we were saved to, 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 for good works. The, the Bible says that, that, that we're saved for good works. We're supposed to serve him. Church is not, not about what you can get out of church, but instead church is supposed to be about what you can put into the kingdom of heaven. If you're, if you're not having an exciting Christian walk, that's probably your problem. You went to church your whole life talking about what they could give to you instead of seeing what you could give to God, what you could put in. And we so often let our emotions and our, our, our deals dictate, you know, what's, oh, I'm not going to that church because the music's not good enough. I'm not going to that church because the music's too loud or too quiet. I'm not going to that church because they use drums. Heaven forbid they use drums in that church. You know that when, when drums started getting introduced into churches, like churches split over that. Drums were like a, boy, the devil lived in the drums apparently. And they didn't want to go to church. And you know, I was reading studies actually that, that like a large percentage of people determine what church they're going to go to because of the music. That's not a great reason to pick your church. Matter of fact, you go to the church that God called you to. Tony's told me plenty of times that uh, God's called her here. It doesn't matter what I do. She, she's threatened to never leave more than once. <laughs> but she's not here because of me. She's not here because of my team. She's here because God called her here. And that's what all of you should be here. And if God hasn't called you here, you need to figure out where God's called you to go. But we need to be obedient to God and not our own feelings and not our own emotions. And we're not coming here to be entertained. We're not coming here to be... That's what he's talking about. Are you not being merely human? But instead, we're here to honor God, to serve Him, to grow, that we can be effective in this community and minister the gospel. Amen? We need to move on towards maturity. And 1 Corinthians 3, 5-7 says, What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servant through whom you believed? As the Lord assigned to each, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Paul wanted them to understand that Apollos and himself were the means and not the cause. Look, he says, like, we're, we were just tools that may have been instrumental in you receiving God and working, but it wasn't us, it was God that did the work. Paul may have planted, but Apollos may have watered, but it was God that did the growing. And it should be God getting the credit. We shouldn't be talking about, oh, it was Apollos, oh, no, I'm with Paul. We should be like, no, I'm with God. And we can learn a, learn a few things from this. One, we can learn that not all ministries are the same. Obviously, Apollos and Paul and Peter, they all had different ministries. And that's what he's kind of referring to, you know, one watered, one, one planted. And the truth is, when you speak to people, when you... In, 
invest in the people, chances are, if somebody gets saved under your ministry, somebody's spoken to them before. They've heard about you. Somebody else has already planted the seed. Somebody else has already watered, and you get to bear the fruits of that. You get to reap the harvest, and that's a good thing. And you know what the truth is, is the person, at least if they're walking with God, the person that planted, the person that, that watered, and, the, and the, the, the laborer who reaped the harvest, they're all excited because they're all going towards that same goal. One plows, one sows, a third waters, but the, the end result is the same. The seed grows, the fruit is produced, and the harvest is reaped. So that's the thing we see that the ministries, there's different ministries, but even though all different, the end goal is always the same, for the seed to grow, the fruit to appear, and the harvest to be reaped. And Paul's saying to these loyal believers that their, their, their loyalties have been misplaced. These believers, they, they had put their, their, their trust in Paul and Apollos instead of their trust in God. And Paul's saying that the truth is, compared to, to God's role in the process, we're unimportant. It doesn't really matter how you receive this information. I mean, somebody can walk through and find a track on the ground and get saved just as easily as, as us preaching to them on a Sunday morning. Paul, Apollos, Peter... Me, you, when we're out there ministering, all we are is God's tool in His in His field. The the God giving the growth in His field, the the mission field is God's field. The people that that are to be saved are God's field, and He's the one causing the. We're just tools in His hand, and there's no room for pride on the part of these leaders. There's no room for pride in any one of us, because it's God that should be getting the glory. What if instead of one going, one group saying, I'm, I'm with Apollo, and the other group saying, I'm with Paul, what if everyone just said, I'm with Jesus? If everybody said that, they could even be arguing, I'm with you, no, I'm with you. Wait, we're both with Jesus? <laughs> then we would have unity at that point. And it's not just you. I mean, there's divisions all over the church. And, and I, I personally believe denominations are one of the 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 greatest struggles of the church today because of all these, we've got this idea in in our head that we're separate. We're not. It's his church. We're just different ministries, different parts, but we're the same goal. And like I've said before, as long as we got the the essentials right and the essentials is Jesus, you got the right Jesus and salvation is through him and him alone, we can work together, whether you're a a, a Baptist, a Pentecostal, Lutheran, whatever. I don't even know all the denominations out there. But as long as we've got the same Jesus, we can work together because we're different ministries with one goal. But they had misunderstood where their eyes should have been planted. In 1 Corinthians 3, 8 through 9, and this is where we're going to finish, it says, He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. While each servant has various functions, each one was a team member with the same purpose. Apollos, Peter, Paul. And their purpose was to bring people into the kingdom of God. That's our purpose, is to share the gospel, bring them in, and see them mature in their faith so that they can do the same thing over and over again. Our, our motto here, if you will, is to, is to evangelize, equip, empower. Praise Chapel, who we are associated with, their motto is to win, build, sin. They're essentially the same. We want to evangelize the lost, get them to know Jesus, and then equip the saints. We want to build them up and teach them. 
and then empower them to step out and do the same thing that we did with them. We all have one purpose, maybe different ways of doing it. Yet that being said, each person is still individually responsible for their own work, for their own uh, whatever God has given them. And I, I've said it before, but I never want to stand before God and find out that somebody else had to do what God sent me to do. We each have our own responsibility. And we're going to be rewarded individually. I don't know how all that works out precisely. I don't know that we're to cast our, our crowns at the feet of Jesus. But we're going to be rewarded for, for the work that we've done. 1 Corinthians 4, 5 says, Therefore do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purpose of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. For more on how God rewards believers, you can read Ephesians 6, 8, knowing that, whoever, that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord whether he is a bondservant or free. Hebrews 11.6 says, And without faith it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists, and then he rewards those who seek him. You know, we have a responsibility, and we have a reward as well. But Paul and the other ones that he was speaking about, they were, they were ministers of the gospel, and they were working on one team to see one thing accomplished, and that was the church of Christ to grow. The people would get saved. They would have their lives changed. That they would have the same treasure that Paul and Peter had in earthen vessels, the same treasure that we had. They wanted everyone else to have it as well. And their mission field, which is God's field, that was the church. Those are the people, that's the, the lost out there that need to know. That's, that's, that was God's field, and they were just tools in God's hand to reach those people, to those people. And their ministry belong to God and not them. And the same is true for us. But this is, Paul can say, wake up. It's not about individual people. It's not about, it's about God. It's about his son who gave everything. So wake up. Stop acting fleshly. Stop acting like who you were before you got saved and instead live the life that God called you to live. Honor God the way he called you to be, to honor him. And I, I you know, I'm excited about what will be accomplished here when we all stand up and do that. Amen? Amen. Let's go ahead and finish up and stand our feet.